Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like a book club, but for gourd board, gourd games, gourd bames. I'm Kiwi, and with me is nobody. I'm all alone. So today I'm playing Spires in Hildegard. The designer was Greg Favreau, who also did Spires End. The artists were Diego Frias, Audrey Reuven, Benjamin Weissman, and Cy Gardner. It was published in 2022 by Favreau Ventures LLC. The game description. You play as our young hero Hildegard on her first assignment as a messenger. She's been tasked with delivering a mysterious package of utmost importance to the coast, but the journey won't be easy. Rumors are rampant about what you're carrying. Along the way, you'll encounter dodgy townsfolk, wildlife critters, irate carriers, ooh, irate carnies, natural disasters, and a boatload of fallen leaves. You may also enjoy a myriad of outdoor activities, including fishing, hiking, hunting, foraging, and maybe even a little river boating. And the mechanics are cooperative game, critical hits and failures, dice rolling, die icon resolution, move through deck, narrative choice paragraph, push your luck, re-rolling and locking, role playing, solo solitaire game, and storytelling. And the box art, it's kind of got like a, based on the description, I can think I can assume that her gender is female. So we have a, a redheaded uh, woman with a helmet. It's got like antlers coming out of it. She's got a slingshot on her back and it's very reminiscent of like, it reminds me of what you might see in like a comic book or a graphic novel. Um, there's like leaves floating around her and stuff. And then the, I feel like the title is a very stark contrast because it's got like a very sharp edges, like a, the fonts very pointy. It doesn't really go with the picture, but I have a feeling it's based off of Spire's End, which is the first game that he made. This is kind of an offshoot. I think I read somewhere that he designed this one because his other game is kind of like a very dark uh, dungeon crawler. And so he wanted something just a, a wee bit happier. I, I think this cover gives that off. So. So Kiwi, would you pick it up? Wow, that's a great question. Kiwi, let me answer it. Uh, I did pick it up. I saw uh, some tweets about it on uh, Twitter and the idea of a storytelling game and the art really intrigued me. Uh, so I looked more into it and the game mechanics were super interesting to me. So I picked it up. I think we've established here on the podcast that we really quite enjoy Um uh, storytelling games. And so having a storytelling game that's kind of a solo with just a deck of cards uh, and some interesting mechanics is, um, is interesting. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to skip how do I think it's played because I've already read the rules. And I mentioned um, uh, graphic novels. And so I was curious, kind of like the history of graphic novels. So the term was uh, created by a fan historian of comics uh, named Richard Kyle in an essay he wrote in November of 1964, and it gained popularity through the late 70s and into the 1980s. Today, you can usually find a graphic novel section in most US-based brick and mortar bookstores, and it's usually defined as a fictional story that is presented in a comic strip format and published as a book. It might be set up like a traditional novel with a beginning, middle, and end. So more of your uh, standalone story type 
but it could also be an anthology of comic books that cover a single story arc within a larger comic book run. And while the term may not have been coined until 1964, the origins go back uh, further than that. There was supposedly a French cartoonist, Emmanuel Poiret, who broached the idea of a 360 page wordless drawn novel in 1894 and even started it, although it was never published. And then the 1920s and 30s, there were many examples of longer form comic books which then brought us into the 1960s where the larger comic book publishers like DC and Marvel uh, started creating anthologies. Um, and I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention uh, manga, which has its general style developed in the late 19th century in Japan, but was a much longer has a much longer prehistory in Japan leading up to it. And the term became common usage in the late 1700s, which I found surprising, and going into the 1800s. Uh, in fact, the, the kanji characters that make up manga mean whimsical, impromptu, and pictures. And then outside the Japan, manga is usually means uh, like Japanese comics, while anime is for animation. But in Japan, manga refers to all kinds of comics, whether they be cartoons, comics, or animation. So... Um, and like most terms, um, this goes back to graphic novels and not manga. They usually have some sort of criticism. Uh, this one's mostly stemming from the fact that it's an unnecessary term or that its usage has led to a corrupt commercial interests. And my favorite quote comes from uh, Neil Gaiman, who, uh, when he was responding to a claim that he didn't write comics, but graphic novels, said the commenter meant it as a compliment, I suppose. But all of a sudden, I felt like someone who'd been informed that she wasn't actually a hooker, that in fact, she was a lady of the evening. So <laughs> it's kind of so, yeah, so that's the history of the graphic novel. Um, so how do we play? So uh, as the player, so this uh, is a solo game, although it does have a, a uh, two-player version. Um, so you take the role of Hildegard as she journeys to deliver her message, and you work through four different chapters of the story uh, inside each of those, and each of those chapters is a deck. So the deck is made up of uh, some different types of cards. So you have navigation cards, which will further the narrative. They might provide instructions on adjusting the chapter deck uh, and will provide a story choice that will send you to the next card. And then items, which will aid Hildegard in her journey. There are story items that will alter the narrative, fishing items that help during fishing encounters, and effects items that provide Hildegard with additional abilities. And then there's also encounters, and these come in two forms. So you could have targets and face-offs. Uh, not the Nicolas Cage uh, movie with John Travolta, not that one. Uh, both are resolved in a similar fashion, with the biggest difference being that in face-offs, the enemy will fight back. So to resolve, each encounter will have an accuracy stat, which dictates the number of dice you roll in a set, and as a number, and it will also have a number of sets, which is the number of rounds you'll face the target. Finally, it'll show you a list of bullseye parts that are available. So each of the dice, uh, they're all six-sided. Uh, one side is blank, one side is a dot, one side is a circle, and one side is a semicircle, and the other two sides are semicircles with a part of a dot in the center, one being uh, filled in with black and the other filled in with white. So when you roll the dice, you're trying to form all the parts of a bullseye. So essentially the circle and the dot in the middle. Uh, 
and you can only use the sides shown as available on the encounter. So, you know, some encounters might just be the circle and the dots, or some might be all of them. Uh, so those are the only ones you can use. So for a set, you'll roll the number of dice shown by the accuracy, ignoring any parts not allowed by the encounter. You can attempt to finesse the roll by locking in at least one die and then rolling the rest. You can do this as many times as you have dice to lock. Once you have locked all your dice, the set is complete. You'll then roll a final wild shot die. There are different tiers, but in general, they will have a side with a full bullseye, an up arrow that allows you to change the side of one of your shot dice, even a locked one, a ricochet that lets you reroll one shot die, blank for a miss, and a red X for a whoopsie which has you remove a shot die of your choice. And finally, if you have the required bullseyes that are shown in the top left, you win. If you meet the amount in the top right, you also gain a bonus. If you fail to meet the requirement, you fail, and then you'll follow the appropriate storyline. So the only change for a face-off is, is the enemy will attack back after you complete a set. So there will be a Hildegard card that shows a series of symbols with gray and orange backgrounds, and the enemy must roll the symbols in order from left to right, uh, with the orange symbols able to be blocked by the player. So when the player rolls their set, they can choose to, instead of forming a bullseye, they can protect uh, that matching icon as long as it's orange and the next one that the enemy needs. And then face-offs don't have a set limit, but you'll go until you're victorious or you're defeated. So the game ends when you complete all four chapters. The beginning of each chapter is considered a checkpoint, however, so you can pick up where you left off and break up the game into shorter elements. Uh, so those are all the rules. And I guess I will now play. So we, I, not we, I just finished playing uh, chapter one of Spires in Hildegard, made it to the next chapter. I uh, lost a couple of encounters. I think I won all the face-offs against the crows and the scarecrow, but there was some other encounters, some successful, some unsuccessful. Try not to give away any spoilers, although I realized I just paid through chapter one. And if Eric wanted to play this, he just listened through all chapter one. So I'll just ruin it for him and not for anybody else. So uh, theme, uh, it's hard to not have a theme when you are working through a story. So I felt like um, the story was nice. It progressed quickly. Uh, getting through the cards, I didn't feel like I was getting bogged down um, on any one card. So I felt like there was decent story coming out. I kind of understand Hildegard and I'm curious to see some information that I don't want to give away, but hopefully in later chapters, you'll find out more uh, about Hildegard. And I think, so looking at the deck here, I probably played through about maybe 20% of the deck. And there's another, you know, good 60 cards here that I didn't play. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot more story and different ways to uh, go about it based on your choices and, and all that. So uh, I thought the theme was good. Um, and the art, um, some of it's covered up, but I think the art is nice as well. For uh, table presence, I mean, uh, when the cards are out, it's nice. I'm not sure 
how it would look uh, like at a convention. It'd be very strange. I think I would stop and look to see like somebody like working through a game like this by themselves. Cause one that would be curious at a convention, just seeing somebody playing a card game by themselves. So that might draw me. Um, but a lot of the cards because of the way they're displayed. So with the Hildegard's inventory, like all the art on these cards uh, for the items are really fun, but the way that they have you stack them underneath is you cover all that art up. So I think that's a little bit of a shame because the art's really nice. Um, uh, mechanics, it's, you know, it's got to choose your own adventure style. Um, so I think, you know, uh, working through those different elements is fun. I mean, I already am curious about the other choices, like a choose your own adventure. Um, I think the die rolling uh, is an interesting mechanic in terms of encounters and face-offs uh, and the way they adjust it to change the difficulty is interesting. Um, so I don't think it's anything uh, crazy, nothing, I don't wanna say out of the ordinary, but nothing that is groundbreaking or intense. Yeah, I think that it goes together and it helps it move along quickly. I think if it bogged down more, it would be, I would take away from the story because I think that's kind of the, the goal is to work through the story here. So uh, rules, uh, I did have to look up a couple of elements, but mostly because it's been a little bit since I've read the rules before playing. But I think the rules themselves are pretty um, well laid out and easy to follow. The uh, one thing that, so you get all these like gold and red and black cubes, and then you have a couple of uh, orange discs. But in the setup thing, there's nothing that tells you like, hey, the gold discs represent this, the gold cubes represent this. It's kind of like hidden in a little element um, later in the instruction booklet. And I didn't find that until later. So I was trying to, you know, one of the cards, it was like, take five gold. Well, there's only three discs. So how do I know how much gold I actually have? And then there's like a little, in parentheses thing that tells you how to track your gold. So I think that's really my only complaint is maybe that stuff uh, should have been more upfront on what you potentially could be using the cubes for. So um, other than that, um, uh, good in terms of the rule book and how the game plays. So uh, play interaction, uh, I was just interacting with myself, uh, reading out loud and rolling the dice. Um, there's not a lot of lot to track, uh, and even the stuff that you do have to track, um, they have enough cubes to help you do that. So I think that they provide you with what you need in the book, and I um, I appreciate that. So um, I think they've set it up so that you don't have to get distracted away from the story, and you can just work through the different elements. So. Uh, and would I play it again? I absolutely would. Uh, in fact, you know, I've only played through chapter one. Uh, a whole game is chapters one through four, and I think I might um, I'm gonna play through play through chapter two. And you know, the choose your own adventures. Like I said, there, there's probably a good you know two thirds of this deck of cards that I did not even see. So there's uh, potential for different stories. In fact, the starting card there are three different starting cards, so your story could start you know, three different ways. So um, just like a choose your own adventure, you, know, you try to go forward and back in terms of, you know, which, which choice do you want to pick? Um, so yeah, that is my answer. 
Uh, and that was uh, Spires in Hildegard. So if you have any recommendations of games you would like to hear uh, my impressions on or our impressions on or other people play solo games, please send them our way. You can do it via email at firstturntabletop at gmail or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at firstturncast. And the podcasting camel says, uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to... We look for We... We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. Oh, I got the X. You buckle over sick and purge breakfast. Oh my goodness. Humbleness is for the weak, so. This guy seems really mad. Let's go ahead and run.